1: uh, today we're talking about uh, a novel that is based in part on, on non-fiction. It's based in part on actual crimes that occurred on the university campus during the mid-70s. And we're talking about experiences gained by our author while, study, while studying and teaching African literature in West Africa later in that decade. My guest is Jay Richards, Ph.D., forensic psychologist, whose specialty is the evaluation and treatment of violent offenders, such as homicide perpetrators, mentally ill killers, and sexually violent predators. And he's known for groundbreaking research, innovative and provocative theoretical papers. He's been doing this work for more than three decades. And he really looks at moral dilemmas and choices and weaves together, you know, culture and politics, and we're going to look at this, and as you know, since this show is very much about the positive side of life, we're going to look at what is the upside to this, and why is this so important to talk about, and how does this help people? Welcome, Jay.
2: Well, Patricia, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, no, it's good to have you on the program. Tell me, uh, you know, as I read, this is partially taken from your own experience.
2: Uh, Yes, from a, a, a... a series of crimes that happened on a uh, campus where I was a student as an undergraduate. And the, I actually moved on before the crimes had been totally the, the uh, adjudication process that went on. But a young uh, African American man was accused of being involved in some sexual assaults on women uh, on the campus. And it, it really polarized the campus that was still right at the end of the, um, civil rights era. And, people were pretty, uh, already pretty polarized about their views about American society and race. But that event really polarized it. And as the years went by, I realized that it would make a good um, scenario for looking at where we come with race and, and how our societies
1: Well, and that's day. really a big question I have. You know, I was saying to you before we went on the air that in so many ways, we've come such a long way. We have a black president, You know, 50 or 60 years ago, um, a lot of African-American people were having to use separate bathrooms from people who were white. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've come a long way, but in some ways we haven't. In some ways we haven't. There were no
2: bathrooms. Well, well, separate bathrooms often meant there were no bathrooms because, you know, people didn't actually build extra bathrooms. So if if, Mm. uh, African-Americans couldn't use them, they had to use them. Uh, I know my sister was told to go around the bushes and this is mm. in uh, Arkansas. She's traveling from Illinois. Wow, and, you know, that was something new to us. But that's the way it was. Wow. But yeah, you're right. That I don't think that happens now. And if it happened, it'd probably end up on the six o'clock news or something like that. But there have been these really big changes. One of the biggest changes is not only in these the way um, a race is handled and the, uh, the rights. Uh, um, of African-Americans and other minorities is that most whites in America now approve of a more fair, equitable society. They don't endorse a racist, white supremacist society, which was true um, certainly up to the 1940s. Most Mm -hmm. Americans endorsed a more uh, segregated and white supremacist society with seeing America as a white country. that just just happened to have African-Americans and Native Americans in it. Um, and I think that's changed. I think at least uh, overtly, in other words, what people believe they believe and what they say, uh, most Americans don't uh, buy into that kind of America. So, so then at America the question
1: is, is, why do we still have so much violence? You know, so much violence with, uh, and there's still police brutality with African Americans. Why do you think that's still prevalent
2: well that's very complicated but I think it's an important thing to look at and there's some of that occurs in my novel where the, the protagonist uh, realizes that the police come to his house, he's African American professor and he realizes he's probably gonna get beaten up is what he thinks. That's that isn't what happens, but that's what he's been, you know, brought to believe is gonna happen. Um well I think part of it is that the um the police uh, they're their role is to enforce the, uh, uh, the the laws, but not just the laws, but the unwritten laws of society. And unfortunately, with law enforcement, uh, rather than enforcing the laws, when it came to race, they actually broke the law very often in most parts of the country to enforce um, discriminatory rules and white supremacy and it's sort of a reign of terror. And I know people don't like to hear that, but... It was a reign of terror. If, if you, uh, people who have the courage to look at lynchings and the hundreds of lynchings that happened in the United States, um, only slowing down in, in, the, in the 1950s, um, th- that it was not uncommon in the South to have, uh, black, uh, people lynch, usually men, uh, and the whole town would participate and take pictures mm-hmm. of it, um, mm-hmm. and, and, now I think if you ask what people, you you probably couldn't find anybody who admits that that happened. But this was a common right. occurrence. So, yeah. so I think that and the police were either, were either involved or complicit in those places. I think at a much lower scale, in the in the north and elsewhere, they were expected to just enforce the rules. So if a black person mm. got rude at a uh, let's say a public place. They would assume that the police would take them away, if, if mm-hmm. uh, and maybe be a little rough with them, maybe put them in jail. If a white person did, they might not. They might just be ignored. But exactly. just the fact of being black meant an extra level of of uh, scrutin- scrutiny scrutiny, uh, extra level of concern about your dangerousness. Um, just, then we, we see still that, have
1: that. that Don't continuing. you think, Jay? We, st- I mean, maybe not to that degree. but We still have that.
2: Well, you see that in the schools where, you know, uh, African-American children, if, they, um, uh, if they're if they at all active, that active quality is seen as aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, yeah. if they grow at their normal pace, then they're seen like as they're just, uh, you know, they're like the Mighty Hulk, you know, instead of just yeah. being a big kid. Uh, so there is this association. And the interesting thing is we've, as a psychologist, we've found that, like, by studying attitudes, we used to study attitudes by asking people, um, how um, how much would you support having the following groups of people be part of your country or part of your town, part of your uh, club, part of your family, and then a list of, of people. And usually uh, blacks were near the very, very end of that list. Sometimes it'd be some other group, maybe Turks or something like that, which were somehow very unpopular at the... Uh, in the early uh, decades of our of the last century, but usually the African Americans were at the lowest. Certainly, when it was part of one's family. Um, but now we, we what we found is as the decades went on, fewer and fewer people endorse that kind of anti-black uh, prejudice on, on a questionnaire. But what we found we have new methods of looking at at people's prejudices or their beliefs, and these methods look at. What we call implicit attitudes, in other words, the attitudes that you you hold based on your emotions and your behavior, not yeah. on what you say and, and often uh, people aren 't aware of what mm-hmm. their true attitudes are
1: so, so um, what would you advise what would you advise Caucasian Americans to do? What would you advise them? I mean first of all, you have to be aware of the way you 're feeling and acting, but what would you advise them to do to improve? race relations, and would you give that same advice to an African-American?
2: I think I would, uh, uh, of course, each, people are very different, you know, and white people are very different, Um, so some of the, uh, many whites have already participated in some of the things I'm going to to suggest, but one is is to advocate that that, uh, programs that uh, and, and actions that reduce inequality be funded and be monitored to make sure they're enforced. For example, we have anti-discrimination laws in the United States that aren't in, in housing and employment that aren't enforced. So insisting that they be enforced through your representatives. Um, challenging other whites when they say um, racist things or hostile things, or they bring up suspicions about African Americans that are, don't seem... Uh, well-grounded, you know, just raising the question is how how sure are you that this is a situation and, and helping people think through it. And another important thing would be to just have more experiences with um, uh, African-Americans in particular, black people. And the reason why I say that is that you know, the United States is full of, of lots of minorities now. So people, white people, for example, can become quite comfortable with Asians or um, um, people from India, Pakistan, and but the specific history of the United States and the history of racism here is definitely uh, a, a problem uh, involving the history of slavery and racism with blacks. Now, not these other groups of people, and you know they they have special problems as well. So, encouraging uh, whites to interact with African Americans, but not just anyone, people who are involved in activities that they're interested in, and in, and uh, maybe in. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything from, uh, you know, if, if it's uh, uh, basket weaving to uh, 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 writing memoirs to whatever whatever you're interested in, cooking, you're going to find that there are ways to, to interact with African-Americans who are doing that. And one way to do that is when, when you notice that there are African-Americans in your uh, group setting, or uh, for example, let's say you join a cooking group and there's an African-American person there, uh, try to relate to that person. Try to strike up a conversation. Um, another way is to um, become knowledgeable and understand um, some of the important people in America who've African Americans who've achieved, and try to understand their achievement and the obstacles that they dealt with, uh, so that you have a, 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 some African Americans who you admire, and, and they don't have to be the big figures like Martin Luther King. There may be someone who a sports figure that you that you admire. Uh, if you're an attorney, there may be an attorney that and many African American attorneys have excelled in, you know, various ways. So, trying to change that uh, idea that the African American is always the person. Who is the basement of, of one's mm-hmm. of uh, white white people's expectation to yeah. understanding that some people, you know, not everyone, but there are many people who are really admirable and, and who have a lot of positive qualities, and um, so having that kind of exposure uh, really helps to change these attitudes. Yeah.
1: All right, we've got like two them. minutes before break, so let me ask you. Have to be a quick answer. How do you think President Obama's presidency? has impacted race relations in this country?
2: Well, I think it's increased um, some people's willingness to be old-fashioned racist because they'll say, we're not going to be politically correct because we have a black president now, and every all the effects of, of racism and slavery and Jim Crow are gone, and any, any reference to it is being politically correct. And that leads people to feel that they can just be, racist, and they can be rude, and they can be Mm -hmm. mean-spirited about uh, race, and I I think that's unfortunate. So I think his his presidency has given some permission.
1: Hmm, Interesting. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are talking to Dr. Jay Richards. His book is Silhouette of Virtue. It is a novel but based on some fact he is a forensic psychologist whose specialty is in the evaluation and treatment of violent offenders such as homicide perpetrators mentally ill killers and sexually violent predators however we are talking about what are we learning from this what's the groundbreaking research and in his you know innovative papers and ideas what can we learn and what can we apply to make our lives better And there's a lot. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on Voice America, America's Voice. And we'll be right back.
2: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week.
2: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call one 472 5788 That number again is one 472 5788 You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome back to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on Voice America, America's Voice. My guest is Jay Richards, who is a forensic psychologist, Ph.D., whose specialty is in the evaluation and treatment of violent offenders. Uh, his early clinical experience was gained during National Institute for Mental Health um, pre- and postdoctoral fellowship programs, and he was retained as an expert by U.S. Marshals to review adequacy of treatment by White House cases and the degree of continuing risk for violence that would be posed if they were released from confinement. It's done a lot of work for several decades, and welcome back, Jay Richards. Thank you. All right, I want to ask you a very, very tough question. And um, what is the relevance of psychological research on a bias that's often unconscious to the large racial disparities that's found in criminal convictions, incarceration,
2: and police force. Well, you know, there's a there's a fascinating book that I really recommend. It's called uh, Blind Spot um, by Anthony Greenwald as is, is a co-author. And what that book is the subtitle of that book is the hidden biases of good people. And what that book shows is the modern uh, techniques of studying attitudes can measure people's responses. Emotional responses to faces, for example, of different races. And what's found is about 85% of whites automatically prefer uh, white faces to black faces. Um, if we had time, I could describe the technology, but it's very mm-hmm. reliable technology. Um, and here's another surprising thing about um, 35 to 40% of blacks prefer white faces. Mm. Very. Very few whites prefer black faces, but about 35% of blacks prefer white faces, and about another 30% of blacks prefer black faces. Um, what, what that technology is bringing out is it's showing that many things we call prejudice or racism are not from people thinking, i want to do harm to this group of uh, black people or this minority group or these people who are different from me it comes from mainly these automatic preferences. Uh, The Mm -hmm. same technology shows that most white people associate black images of black people, black faces, with weapons, guns, knives, Mm -hmm. etc., violence. Mm -hmm. So a high majority do. And unfortunately, uh, a minority, this is a weaker effect, but many African Americans also associate uh, um, when they're shown a picture of black faces, they're more likely to associate that with weapons or violence. So what we know is that when there's a, when law enforcement, um, they also have these messages. Maybe they have these preferences even stronger because they come in contact with uh, the most difficult people in society. They come in contact, they're in situations where there is real danger. Oftentimes the rest of us are, living with imaginary dangers but they're living with real dangers so they have mm-hmm. some of these perceptions uh so they may perceive that african-americans as being more dangerous more criminal and so they're going to arrest them um but a, re- a, a really interesting situation happened recently where an african-american uh black attorney was in in the courtroom with his client and the judge came in um and the judge walked right up to him and said you should be back on the um, back in the holding area. You shouldn't come up here until your attorney is here. And uh, the black attorney had to say, "Well, Your Honor, I am the attorney, and this person right here—he points to his white client—he is the offender." In other words, the judge automatically thought that if there were a black man up there in his courtroom toward the front, it was a it was an offender. Um, they sort of all laughed it off. Um, uh, and, and you know being tolerant of it but can you you can imagine the kind of these automatic biases uh, it means that black people when they go to court they get longer sentences they're more likely to be arrested for crimes whites are not or activities that whites are not arrested for and they get harsher pel- penalties they're seen as more dangerous uh, more violent um, just simply based on the racial group they're in Mm-hmm. So I think these are the kind of automatic biases that, um, that lead to uh, higher rates of incarceration and uh, and laws that tend to penalize African Americans and not penalize whites. For example, the laws regarding uh, cocaine use versus crack cocaine use. Mm-hmm. Um, for many years, uh, cocaine use, has, which whites were more heavily involved in, have much yeah. lower penalties than crack cocaine use, which falls yeah. which more So it, it,
1: it's, it's really these, just these perceptions, these old perceptions we have in our brain
2: that just live on. Well, I think the, the positive thing about this is that it's a call to consciousness raising. And, and that's why my, yeah. my novel, and I think the fiction is a way to help people get inside the heads and emotions and, and spiritual lives of people who are unlike them. So in my novel, the, the protagonist is a philosopher, he's a spiritually disciplined person, he's a poet, uh, he's not your everyday person, but as a black uh, person involved in those things, the reader gets to see that that uh, this individual has a higher level of consciousness, and as he's trying to interact with people around these crimes, he's calling them to a higher level of consciousness as well. and he, he, he runs into situations where he thinks he's on top of things and understands things. And he realizes that he, too, has these flaws and these uh, prejudices. Like, for example, I mentioned when the police come to his house, he he has the prejudiced belief that they're going to mistreat him and not be fair um, because that's what he's learned. And hmm. instead, he encounters a different kind of person than, than he had expected. So I think that these things we're talking about they show the blind spots in our lives around race, but they also are a call to to raising our awareness. Yeah, well, I
1: do want to ask you though um, this whole thing about what's going on with police. Do you think that there has been an increase in police using deadly force in recent years? Do you think it's merely public perception, or do you think that's
2: really real? There may be some reality to a slight increase, but i don 't think it's a, a dramatic increase. I think what's dramatic is it's being the attention being shown to it because mm. I think most most African Americans have been aware of this kind of police violence uh, and, and, un, and and unjustified violence
1: yeah. uh,
2: for yeah. a very long time. but I think yeah. the general public you know they didn't have films of it, and it wasn't Brought to our attention, and, and another thing is, I think that's what's happening is that the, the, some of our police leaders are saying, "Well, since you're so critical of us, we'll just stop policing. We won't mm-hmm. do as much policing." And so then that has led some people believe to to a slight uptick tick in violent crime. Although the violent crime in 2015 has been lower than it was before the Ferguson. Um, uh, shooting and uh, uprising there in Ferguson—it's actually been lower. Um, but I, I think this has been a stable part of American life, starting back from when they, the the word "patrol" the original patrols in the United States were people uh, patrolling the highways in the South looking for slaves and Indians. And any slaves and Indians who were free, they would uh, address. Uh, they would the slaves had to have papers showing the date. Could be out, and if not, they would be, you know, apprehended and taken somewhere where a white person would be responsible for them. So this this tradition is is longstanding, um, and and actually, uh, I think there is some overt uh, cultural pre- prejudice among some policemen, but it's nowhere as powerful as it used to be. And I think now it's much more. Um, you have, for example, white policemen working in um, the worst. Mm-hmm. uh african American neighborhoods and they live somewhere else they live we have had
1: recent issues as you know i mean there have been recent issues in the news, uh, and there have been recent killings so I, you know it, it has been coming up in the last two or three months
2: of oh, police officers yes right. and it, and well, uh, african
1: american young men
2: right it 's always been that way and I think that for example uh, over ten years ago there was a, a, a uh, mentally ill man, and, and uh, who has happened to be, uh, I think happened, but maybe because he was angry at the police uh, in Washington D.C., who shot uh, at least four officers who were in their cars. Um, and one of those officers was black, but he definitely targeted the police because of his, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anger at the police. Um, and we've had that happen here in Seattle where a young black man shot two police officers at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and surprisingly, he was caught and lived through that. And well, usually what happens is a black person uh, who, who's involved in that gets killed. So, in so the let, me encounter. Ask you,
1: let me ask you, Jay, because we're running out of time and it's a very fascinating subject. Where's the hope? What do you see? What would be, if you were to leave our message with our listeners, certainly to, to read your fiction book, Silhouette of Virtue, it is a novel, but it has so much in it that's really true, um, that's woven into the story. What would be your message of hope for our listeners?
2: Well, I think the message for hope is that we really uh, all are the same. I mean, that, this is the reality. And as, uh, as we come to terms with these problems in our society, that's the big discovery we're going to have. I mean, it's, it's, it's not so, uh, you know, mind blowing in a way. Uh, it's just that our, we have so many things that have been in a way for us to just perceive that we all want the same things. Uh, we all have the same longing for, for growth and for self expression. Um, you know, for, for happiness, pursuit of happiness. And I think that's part of it. And I, and I think also that we've had now, Several generations of many, many people working as hard as they can, and certainly white and black, um, to make it possible that we have a a, a society that's not race blind, but a society where people of all different kinds of of backgrounds, uh, racial, ethnic, language, Mm -hmm. can work together. And I, I, I think it is true that the majority of Americans have been committed to this for several generations
1: all right, thank you for coming uh, so on the show. How can back. people how can people get your book and communicate with you?
2: Well, Amazon.com. You can go there. BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, uh, also, my website, which is JRichardsBooks.com. That's J A Y richardsbookscom okay. One word. Uh, right. So you can find out more about me and see my blog on Psychology Today.
1: All right. Wonderful, and also the book, Silhouette of Virtue. Jay, thanks so much for coming on the program. We'll have to have you come back. Thanks for Thank having you. me, Patricia. All right, stay on for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this half hour. We're coming right back with another half hour right here on voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Patricia Raskin. The Patricia Raskin Show will be right back. Thank you for
0: tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.